Welcome to the Faith for My Generation podcast, where our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word. We're on one mission, to raise up a generation of powerful believers through the relevant teaching of God's Word. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm your host, AJ. Let's get into the episode. How are we doing? Getting everything set up here. I'm about to record a episode for Faith for My Generation podcast, and I thought, hey, why not do a, a Instagram Live as I record this episode? If you haven't already, I would love to have you join me at Faith for My Generation uh, on Instagram. It's Faith for My Generation handle, but the Faith for My Generation podcast, you can find us wherever there are podcasts, Apple, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, all that jazz. Um, and it, there's a link tree in my personal bio that you can see all the information. But I wanted you to have uh, you have the opportunity to join me as I record this episode. Uh, if you saw my stories, I'm going to be talking about four reasons why people fail and how to avoid those reasons at all costs. You know, we look throughout the Bible. There's so many different times where God gives us instruction in His Word, um, and it's what I love about the Bible. One of the things I love about the Bible is that. Whenever God records, you know, history of, of, of a person, you think about like King David, it records the good things he did and the bad things he did um, so that we can learn from those examples, right? So that we can take from other people's experiences in their life and to see how God dealt with them because God's not a respecter of persons. And we can see, hey, we can avoid those mistakes. And so tonight I'm going to be teaching four reasons why people fail. And really you could replace people with nations. Uh, all a nation is is people, right? Nations are groups of people. And we're going to look in the book of Obadiah. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament. Um, this is definitely a book you want to look up on a tablet or a smartphone um, because it's going to be where the uh, the pages are a little bit dusty, kind of in the middle of the, of the Bible. You're going to have to maybe have to hit the table of contents to find Obadiah. But here we go. Four reasons why people fail. Four reasons why people fail. And we're going to look at the book of Obadiah. And of course, if you're listening on the podcast, if you haven't followed me on Instagram, come do that because I'll be doing some more lives over here on Instagram. The handle is the AJ Bible. It's always in the show notes as well on the podcast channel. So here we go. Four reasons why people fail and how to avoid these four reasons of failure at all costs. If we know there are cer certain things that will cause us to fail, that will cause us to stumble, then my goodness, at all possible costs, make sure you don't fall into these traps of failure. Uh, that's the reason why we want to see from God's Word, you know, what are these reasons, and let's avoid them at all costs. So let's go to Obadiah. Now, maybe you've read Obadiah, maybe you haven't. It's what's called a minor prophet. Uh, in the back of the, your Old Testament, right before you get to the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, you've got a lot of prophets, major and minor prophets. And major and minor prophets have to do with not, uh, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they're major prophets. And then the, there's 12 minor prophets, if I got my numbers right. It has nothing to do with that. Well, you know, the minor prophets, what they had to say was less important. That's not what it means to be a minor prophet. It has to do with the extent of their ministry. You know, some of these minor prophets, they had one message, maybe two messages. And it's not that their word that came from God, 
because a prophet is a messenger of God. It is someone who tells people what God said on behalf of God. It's a, it's a mouth, they are a mouthpiece of God. And Obadiah being a minor prophet, and as I mentioned, it's the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's 21 verses. You could read it in about three and a half minutes. Um, Obadiah, though it's small in its message, it is not small in its meaning. And there's a lot that we can pick up from the book of Obadiah that will instruct us in how to be successful in life. Because again, if we're talking about four reasons people fail, well, on the flip side, we're going to learn four ways to be successful in the kingdom of God and in our life according to God's principles. So before we get to the first reason why people fail. Let me give you a little bit of background so you kind of have an understanding of where this book, Obadiah, is coming from. So who is Obadiah? Like a lot of books in the Bible, it's named after the person that God used to write this message. Obadiah is the, is the same in this case. Obadiah was the man that received this message from God, uh, and he, of course, wrote down this book, and it's named after him. So who is Obadiah? Well, he tells us who he is. In verse 1, Obadiah 1.1, the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, arise up and let us rise up against her for battle. So the vision of Obadiah, what is this book of Obadiah? It is a vision that the man Obadiah, the prophet, has that God gives him by the Spirit of God. The, the Holy Spirit gives Obadiah, this prophet, a vision of what is to come concerning Edom. Now, we're going to find out who that is in just a second. But Obadiah, plainly see, we can see here in Obadiah 1, he has a vision. He's a prophet of God. Verse 2, Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you shall be greatly despised. So to begin with, Obadiah, his name, what's in a name? Well, oftentimes meanings are in names. Obadiah means a servant of Jehovah. Literally, he is a servant of Jehovah. That's what his name means. And he is a prophet that has this vision of Edom. So the whole point of this message is what he sees by the Spirit of God that's, taking, that's going to take place against Edom. And it's going, he's going to see what is to happen. Now, just as a fun Bible study tip, when you're studying prophecy, there's something called prophetic perfect. Prophetic perfect. So when you're studying prophecy, notice this, particularly in this case with Obadiah, he's going to record what he is seeing in the Spirit as if it's happening right now at this moment. Obadiah is going to write down by the Spirit of the Lord what he's seeing take place in the Spirit, though it will take place about 900 years after this point. But he sees it, and when he sees it, it's as if it's already done. And you know, that's interesting because with God, when God settles an issue, it's settled. When God speaks a word, it's done. The Bible tells us that the word of God is settled in heaven forever. Right? Jesus told us that heaven and earth, heaven and earth itself will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of his word will pass away. So when God speaks something, it's done. Whether it takes, in man's perspective, man's length of days, 200, 300, 400 years, a, a millennium, right? Think about some of these prophets. <laughs> Think about Adam 
when God was speaking to Adam and Eve, and the Lord tells uh, after they fall in sin, he says, there will be one that comes. You know, Satan, you're going to bruise the heel of man, but there's going to be one that comes that will bruise your head. And then what? About 4,000 years later, that prophecy is fulfilled when Christ comes. But as far as God's concerned, it's done. It's completed. And Obadiah is having this vision, and he's seeing what's going to take place in Edom, this nation of Edom, that we're going to find out who that is in just a minute. He's seeing what's going to take place as if it's happening right now. That's called prophetic present, prophetic presence. And the definition I have here says this, prophets of the Lord see visions, that's when they're awake, or dreams, that's when you're asleep, as though it is now, but in time is still in the future. So they're seeing it as if it's happening. So think about that, prophetic present. Remember that, a lot of prophecy teachings going on, unfortunately, a lot of erroneous prophecy teachings going on because of natural occurrences that are taking place in the earth, the war in Ukraine, COVID shutdowns, uh, two years of lockdowns, different things taking place throughout the world. So there's a lot of erroneous prophecy teaching, uh, but keep that in mind that the prophetic present, prophetic perfect, is when the prophet sees something and it as he's describing it as if it's already happening, as if it's already happening. Now, who is Edom? You know, you think about it. If this prophet Obadiah is speaking to Edom, well, it would be good to know who Edom is. All right, well, let's find out who Edom is. And what I love about the Bible, he, the Bible always tells you the answer to the question it asks. Now, the people of Edom, they are descendants of Esau. Now, remember, maybe you have to go back to Sunday school class, go back to, to younger days. Maybe you just recently read this. If you're reading through the book of Genesis, you're going to read about uh, two brothers, Jacob and Esau, right? Isaac and his wife have two sons, Jacob and Esau. And from the beginning, they're warring. Esau's coming out, but Jacob has a hold of his heel, Jacob means supplanter, deceiver, but literally one that grabs the heel. <laughs> it, you know, if your <clears throat> kids are playing and a, you know, a kid tackles one kid and it, one kid that tackled runs off, tries to run off, the kid on the ground can reach out and grab its foot and that kid trips over, that's what it means. Jacob, supplanter, grab the heel and pull out the leg from under him. And we can see that with Jacob and Esau in the book of Genesis. When Esau's born, Jacob grabs a hold of... Esau's heel pulling right out. I mean, just seconds later coming out. But Esau is the father of the Edomites. So Edom are the descendants of Esau, Jacob's twin brother. Now we see this in Obadiah 1 verse 6. Oh, how Esau shall be searched out. So another name for Edom, this nation Edom, which is southeast of Israel, I'm in South Carolina. I know a lot of y'all that are listening on the podcast channel, listening on Instagram, depending on where you're at, it's probably not South Carolina, but I'm in South Carolina in the U.S., and I'm southeast of basically Tennessee, right? I'm, I'm east of Georgia, I'm south of North Carolina, but Tennessee's kind of like off to the angle. Well, that's how Edom is uh, positioned in reference to Israel. You have Israel, and then Edom's down here off angle, southeast of Israel, and it says, O Esau, so Edom is also, another name for Edom is also Esau. O how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. It tells us again in verse 10, For violence against your brother Jacob 
shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. So there we have your brother, Jacob. The descendants of Esau make up this nation of Edom. Edom is this kingdom that should be, now you think about it, they're essentially cousins. They're descendants of Esau, and Jacob, his children, produce Israel. So Israel and Edom are basically cousins. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind, okay? Keep that in the back of your mind, that the people that this prophet, that God's sending Obadiah to, are essentially the cousins of Israel. Now, let's get right into these four reasons why people fail. I wanted to give you a little bit of a background here so you kind of understand where this, this prophet Obadiah is coming from. But in this message from God to the Edomites, we're going to see four principles that apply to your life, that apply to my life. In fact, you could think of it this way. I heard one man, uh, one Bible teacher say that in every person, there is a Jacob and an Esau. Esau is the part of a person that wants to, it's the flesh. It wants to live for the flesh, right? Esau traded his birthright for a pot of beans, he, he traded his blessing uh, for a little, bit of, a little bit of food when he came back because he was so hungry uh, from, a, from a hunting trip. And Jacob wrestled with God, and he got the blessing. The, in every person, there's an Esau that wants to go after the flesh, and there's a Jacob that wants to go after the things of God. Now, in what we see here, this first point is this. The first reason people fail, is they trust in themselves. Every point we're going to cover tonight has to do with trust. Um, on the podcast channel, uh, just the most recent wake-up call, I believe it was wake-up call 013, I talked about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which many of you know, trust in the Lord, lean not onto your own understanding. And so in that same thought, I want, to, I want us to approach this in Obadiah 1.3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? The Edomites, they live, where they live geographically is in a mountainous region. They live in this place, mountainous hills everywhere. They live in the mountains. They're mountain folk. <laughs> In fact, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones and in I think it's the Last Crusade, it's not the Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it's one where they go and get the cup. They're a really, really old, old soldier, Christian um, soldier is in this big cave. They come up in this long ravine and they see this massive temple that's cut out of the rock and they go find this goblet that supposedly Jesus drank out of in the Last Supper. And if you drink water out of it, you'll live forever and the Nazis are right behind them trying to find them. I think it's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is what it is. Well, when they're coming up in that, that cleft of those rocks, this small little passageway, and then all of a sudden they get to this massive temple that's cut into the rocks. That's called Petra. Petra is a city in Edom. There were several, there were many places like this in Edom, but they would cut, literally cut buildings and, and temples of worship into the sides of these mountains. I mean, can you imagine the amount of work that would take? But they would cut into these temples, or excuse me, into these mountains, temples. 
and you see one in the Indiana Jones movie. And here they are. They're living in these mountains. They're worshiping. I mean, thousands of these temples and shrines are carved into the mountainside. They're worshiping their false gods high in the mountain places. If that's not enough, they have developed in their hearts and their minds pride. And they literally say to themselves, who can bring us down to the ground? There's nobody that can touch us. We're hidden in these mountains. Who's going to come against us? We dwell in the clefts of the rocks. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Verse 4, we'll keep going. Obadiah 1.4, though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. They say, we're, we're higher than the eagles themselves. Higher than the eagles. Who can touch us? No one can bring us down. Pride is the first reason people fail. And I can add to it, pride is the first reason why nations fail. Because again, all a nation is, is a group of people. That's all it is. You want to change a nation? Start with changing people. You want to see God shake a nation? Shake people. Get yourself shaken by the power of God. Then your family, then your friends, then your church, and you'll shake a nation. Because all a nation is is a lot of people. And the first reason people fail is because they put their trust in themselves. Pride. They put their, their trust in themselves. Now, let's see what the Bible has to say about pride in itself. James chapter 4 may be one of the most powerful scriptures concerning pride um, and, and why you should make sure your heart is free and clean from pride. Uh, you don't want any deceitfulness of pride because that's really what it is. Pride deceives you in making you think that you are untouchable. That's what happened to these Edomites. They thought they were untouchable because of where they lived in these rocks. You know, think about it. They're high up in these mountains. They've got homes and temples and communities cut down into the, into the mountainside. They think there's no army that can touch us. There's no invading force that can come against us. We're high up here. We've got the high ground. That's the first rule of, of, you know, of warfare. If you have the high ground, they got to come up to you. You can stay and wait. You don't have to go down to them. And they think nobody can touch us. James 4 verse 6 says this, But God, He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When you put yourself in a place where you think you are untouchable, you know, really think about it. Pride insinuates that I'm better than someone else. I'm better than those around me. If I'm prideful, I, th I think higher of myself, which by default requires me to think lower of other people. If I'm prideful and I think I'm better than other people, that means by default I think everyone else is less than. And that spirit of pride causes God to actively resist you. God resists the proud, 
in, in that Greek language, literally, God is actively warring against the prideful heart. God is actively warring against the prideful heart. And these Edomites we see in the book of Obadiah that we're learning, this first reason people fail, is because they put their trust in themselves. They put their trust in themselves. They think they are enough to meet their needs. They can meet, I can meet my needs within myself. I've got myself covered. I don't need help from someone else. I don't need to submit to the truth of God because my truth, I believe my truth's right. After all, it's working for me. And God's saying, I'm going to actively war against those people who are prideful. But on the flip side, he'll give grace and give you more power, give you more grace, give you more favor when you humble yourself. Now think about what is humility. We talked about pride. If, you're, if you think you are better than everyone else, if you lift yourself up in pride, by default, everyone else must be less than you. But what is humility? Having a proper understanding that I'm no better nor worse. I'm not going to belittle myself, but it's I'm on an equal level with everyone else. At the foot of the cross is equal ground. I'm at, it's level ground at the foot of the cross. I'm no better. I'm no worse, but I, I'm going to yield and give mercy to people. I'm going to be kind to people. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, give people, I'll give them an allowance of grace, understanding that people are people. They're human. They make mistakes. I'm just, I can make a mistake if I get my head puffed up as well. So I'm going to be graceful. I'm going to be merciful towards people. God will give you grace. He'll empower you to be humble. But if you put your heart in a place of pride, he will actively resist you. Now notice this. Psalms 20 verse 7 says this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Some put their trust in horses or in some in chariots, but we'll remember the name of, our, of the Lord our God. You know, that's the nature of man is to put their trust in what they have and what they can do and their abilities, their talents. But at the end of the day, what do you have? What can you do that did not originate from God and His goodness? What is it that you have that is an ability or a skill or a gift that did not come by the grace of God? I'm not saying you didn't work hard to perfect it. I'm not saying you didn't, you're not diligent to hone that gift, to strengthen it, to become stronger in what you do. But really, um, the breath you just let out of your nostrils, the breath you just exhaled from your lungs was a gift from God. So what is it that you have that is not by some result of the goodness of God? And in Psalms 20, verse 7, some are putting their trust in chariots, some in horses, this idea of strength. I'm going to put my trust in what I can do. I'm going to put my trust in what I have. Some people put their trust in money. Money can come and go. You can always make more money, and you can always spend more than you make if you don't discipline yourself. But some people put their trust in money. Okay, let's say you put your money, your trust in the, in the U.S. dollar. Not everyone listening to the podcast lives in America, but about 90%, according to the analytics that I see. <laughs> uh, 10% of you are in other countries, so whatever currency is in your country. 
But in the United States of America, we have the U.S. dollar. Okay, put your trust in dollars, hundreds of dollars. If you're going to put your trust in it, I hope it's millions. <laughs> because hundreds ain't going to do much for you. You're going to have a very short amount of trust, about two hours worth of trust. But let's say you put your trust in money. What happens when the dollar's not worth anything? Because of foolish people in power printing it. Just side note, an economist side note here. 80% of all dollar bills that have been printed, that are in circulation, have been printed in the last two years. Hello, inflation. Put your trust in money, okay? But the people that run the printing presses, uh, they're not to be trusted. <laughs> so the thing you're putting your trust in can be manipulated, it can be devalued, it can become worthless. Put your trust in physical strength, okay? Give yourself a few years and your strength will fade. And I'm not trying to be negative, but maybe you're 20, maybe you're 30 years old. Wait till you're 95. I always laugh and joke because I personally, um, you probably don't know this, uh, but what I, I'm going to tell you now, you'll know, if I'm going to do some form of working out, it's going to be barbell lifting. I love barbell lifting. I just told my wife the other day, I think it should be mandatory for everyone in existence. I told her, I hope in the millenn- I believe in the millennial reign, Christ will re- require everyone to squat, press, and deadlift because it's just been so beneficial to my life, uh, just becoming stronger and healthier. So I like to barbell lift. But I make this joke that here I am, I'm 32, and I've been barbell lifting for about six, seven years and prog- you know, progressively getting stronger, thank God. Uh, and I make this joke that I'm on this real slow trajectory that once I hit 65, I'll go in the super seniors category division and go win the gold medal for super seniors in weightlifting. Because right now, comparatively speaking to people who've been lifting for 25 years, I'm a weakling. I've only been doing it for six or seven years, and I do it as an amateur. So I could put my trust in strength, but the reality is strength will ebb and flow. Okay, If you put your trust in things you have or in your abilities, they will fade. They will fail you. But the person that you can put your trust in, the living God, he will never fail you. He will never fade. His strength will never diminish. His ability will never cease. He is faithful. It makes me think of 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He who has called you is faithful to bring about that end that he's promised you. He's going to bring it to completion. So don't put your trust in other things, in other people. Put it in God. Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So the first reason people fail, they trust in themselves. They develop a heart of pride. So the opposite, if we want to be successful, we could say one reason people are successful, they do not trust in themselves. They refuse to have a heart of pride. They put their trust in God. Now, let's keep going. Obadiah, we're still in Obadiah, of course, working our way through the book of Obadiah. The second reason people fail. The second reason people fail is they put trust in In others, the first one is they put trust in themselves. The second reason, they put trust in others. Now, Obadiah 1.7, just working our way through this short little book in the Old Testament. 
It says this, verse 7, All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. And those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. And no one is aware of it. Edom was never strong enough to defeat or come against Israel. Again, remember, they're basically cousins, but over time, they're continually at war and at odds with one another. Edom never had a strong enough military to come against and attack Israel and be successful. They knew that. But what Edom did do, when Israel was coming out of Egypt and they were wandering through the wilderness, Edom shut off their borders from Israel. Israel asked, you know, can we come in and at least get some water? We'll pay you for the water. They got the riches and wealth of Egypt. One of the divine miracles that God worked in Egypt, just on top of those 10 destructive plagues, the hand of God fighting for his people against the Egyptians. In addition to that, Israel just took all the wealth of Egypt with them. And that, that's powerful a symbolism of what Christ did on the cross. He, he took back what the devil stole. And through the power and the work of the cross of Christ Jesus, you can take back what Satan's stolen from you. Now, so Israel, they leave with the wealth of Egypt. So they tell Edom, hey, we'll pay for it if we drink water. We'll, we'll pay you back. Edom says, nope, can't come in our place. You may be our cousin, but we don't want you here. So that's the first thing. Edom closes their borders to them. But then whenever Israel is attacked, anytime Israel is attacked by the Assyrians, by Philistines, by different people, Edom always would jump on the back of, the ba- of those attackers. Edom was never the big bad bully that could actually do some hurt, uh, hurt and harm. It's just when the big bad bully came and swung a punch at Israel, Edom was the little sidekick that would you know, shoot a little swift kick in there with them. Kick them while they're down. That's what Edom would do. And Edom would make confederacies. They would make allegiances and alliances with the nations around them against Israel. And what God's saying here is, these very people that you joined up with, these very people that you connected with, they're going to come against you now. So you think you can put trust in these nations around you and get away with attacking my people. But the reality is, what will take place? The very people you made a confederacy with, an alliance with, they're going to come and attack you just the way you attacked Israel. And that's the second reason people fail, is they put trust in other people. Jesus said this in the book of John, John chapter 2, verse 24. John 2 Verse 24, 24 and 25, John 2, 24 and 25. I'll start at verse 23. It's the full full paragraph. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of him, for he knew what was in man. Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. He knows that man apart from him falters, lies, schemes, is deceptive, 
What does the book of Isaiah say? In fact, let's turn there. Isaiah chapter 55. What does the heart of man look like when it's not made new in Christ Jesus? Isaiah 55. Let's see here. Seek the Lord while he may, may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and we will have mercy on him to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than than your thoughts. Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. He knew that the thoughts of man are not equal. They're wicked. Again, apart from him. This isn't talking about the Christian's heart, but the heart apart from Christ is a heart that has thoughts that are wicked, that are deceptive. They don't have truth. If Christ, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. If Christ is the truth, then if I'm apart from Christ, I have no truth. And that's what you see in the world today, right? Well, that's your version of the truth, bro, and this is my version of the truth. No, there is no version of truth. That's just, that's just my truth, man. Okay, you know, that's, that's my truth. No, there's absolute truths that the Bible shows us. And if I disagree with the truth of the Bible, that means I believe a lie. Common sense, though there's not much of that around. If I do not believe what is true, then I believe a lie. And Jesus said, I don't have any need of what's in the heart of man, because what's in the heart of man is deceptiveness, it is lies, it is deceits, it is the opposite of truth. In Edom, they put their trust in others. See, that's the thing. If, you are, if you're going to put your trust in other people, you don't really know the heart of men. Think about that. How are you going to trust someone that's not linked up with God? Because when it's all said and done, you don't really know what's in the heart of people. You can only take people at their word and see what they do. But at the end of the day, you do not know what truly is in their heart unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. You don't, I, I can only know, I can only know what I see you do and hear you say. But I don't know if it's from a true heart or is there an ulterior motive there? Or is there a reason why, you know, are you playing me? I don't know that. And you have to develop over time. You develop trust. That's why when someone, they've been saying the right thing, doing the right thing, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, it was all just a con, you're not so quick to trust that person again, if ever. But Edom, they're putting their trust in other people rather than God. So what is the prescription that we have as Christians? Well, it's Hebrews 13, 6. I love this. I love this scripture. I pray it every day. I have, a, I have many scriptures that I pray during my time of prayer, and this is one of them. In fact, there's a, there's a name for God, Jehovah Shema, which means the Lord is ever present. And when we see that name in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 48, in fact, in the millennial reign, the new Jerusalem will be named Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. He is there in Jerusalem. He is ever present there. 
but the you know it reveals to us that there is a an abiding presence of God. And in Hebrews 13, it says this, that verse 5, the end of it, it says, For he himself has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. So he, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. Hebrews 13, 6. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's the thought. That's the heart of the believer. You know what? I pray that man, I pray that people around me will treat me nice. I pray that people will be kind to me. I pray they'll be kind. I pray they'll be merciful. I pray they'll that as I treat them right, they'll treat me right. But even if they don't, even if they don't, I'm not going to falter. I'm not going to lose hope. I'm not going to be unfaithful toward the things of God. Even if I'm persecuted, even if I, if I get some pushback, if, I, if I'm treated wrongly, that's okay. What can man really do anyway? He can, man can give his absolute best shot, but when it's all said and done, what can man do to me? If God is my helper... What command doing to me? Don't put your trust in other people. Psalms 118.8 says this. Psalms 118.8, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Well, there you have it right there. It's better to trust in God than put your trust in mankind because man will fail you. People will fail you. you people do their best. You know, and you think about it in the terms of Christian people, we always should be striving to do our best. But even as Christian people, when I may fail you, when someone may fail you, God won't. Put your trust in mankind. And I say that because, look, there, there's good godly men and women. Uh, let's, you know, for example, maybe it's a minister, maybe it's a parent. If that person, God forbid, they backslide and they just turn from the things of God, it may hurt your heart. You may cry out in prayer for them. It may break your heart, bring you to tears. But it should not cause you to be so shook up that you turn your back on God. Because if another person falling away, failing, causes you to turn your back on God, then your faith was not in God it was in man. And when your trust in man got shook up, got shaken, got destroyed, then your hearts turned from the things of God. Your trust was in man to begin with. And that's a dangerous place to put your trust. That's a dangerous place to put your trust. Third reason people fail. Third reason people fail. They trust in the experts. Well, I know so-and-so, and they've got some letters after the end of their name. They obviously know what they're talking about. And I'm not against higher education. I had to suffer through a few years myself. I'm not against training. I'm not against certification. I'm not against people who have years of experience. I take all opinion, all truth, 
whenever I'm watching a YouTube video about how to do something, I take it all with a grain of salt. Because notice this, Obadiah 1 verse 8 says this, Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? One of the ways that's, that the Lord's going to come against Edom because of their sin, continually striking out against the people of God, doing everything they can to destroy the people of Israel, one of the ways that God brings judgment is he destroys the wise men of Edom. Now here, it's not just like, hey, I'm going to you know, knock off all the people that are in your country that are really smart. Edom was a place of trade and commerce. They were positioned in such a way that a lot of trade routes went through Edom in this place that I mentioned before earlier in this episode about uh, Petra, where Indiana Jones, that, that was a place of commerce, a place of worship. But also, Edom was known for having wise men, astrologers. You know, think about the Christmas story. You know, the wise men go to find Jesus. They're studying the stars, and they see the constellations have changed. They see a star in the heaven they haven't noticed, and they begin to follow it, and it leads them to where Christ is. These astrologers, well... Edom had astrologers, or what we see in the book of Daniel, magicians, wise men, soothsayers. Edom had a class of people like this. And the people of Edom put their trust in these wise men, these astrologers, these soothsayers, these magicians, these people that know more things than others. And God says, I'm going to destroy in that day, this day of the Lord, I'm going to wipe out these wise men, and I'm going to remove understanding from you. Third reason why people fail, they put more trust in experts than they do God. They trust the opinion of so-and-so than they do the Bible. I just read Psalms 118.8 that says it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. But if you go to the next verse, it says this, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. So notice that the first half of each verse is, is identical. It's better to trust in the Lord. The only difference, the only difference is one word in each of these verses. Verse 8 and verse 9 of Psalms 118, go, go read it for yourself. Identical. The only difference is one word, man, verse 8, princes, verse 9. So it's better to trust in God than put your man in, uh, faith in man or a man that we elevate, a celebrity, a politician, an actor, uh, higher learned people. Business gurus, someone on TikTok that has 5.7 million followers, so obviously knows what he's talking about. Does he, or is he just really good at getting people to follow? You know, does he play that game really well? Does he, got, does he have the logarithms figured out? Is he just doing things that he knows people will like? It's better to trust in the Lord than put your confidence in princes. Don't put your confidence in the quote-unquote experts of the day. You know, you think about the past two years, 
in the world, how many times, how many times over the past two years did, did, did the experts tell us something concerning the thing we will not mention so we're not shadow banned online? How many times did the experts tell us something like, wear this thing over your face? Don't wear it. No, you should wear it. Ah, we take it back. It doesn't work after all. No, nah, you probably should. Uh, stay three feet away. No, maybe six. Eh, who cares? No, definitely we can't go out anymore. They just constantly had what they said was the answer, and it never was. It was actually, most of the time, completely void of common sense. Don't put your trust in the quote-unquote experts. Psalm 60, verse 11. Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. At the end of the day, what can man really do? What can I do that's of profit? What can I do that will be long-lasting? What will you or I do that will have an impact and an effect on my life and the generations to come after me, my children, my grandchildren, that is not rooted in the things of God? Well, I should say not just an impact. I should say a, a good impact. You know what? You can make mistakes, and it will affect your life and others. But also, you can do what's right, and it will be a blessing to you and others. It will be a blessing to you and your children and your grandchildren. It will be a blessing to you and your company and the people you work with. Or you can do something wrong and do something inappropriate, do something the wrong way, and it be destructive. And at the end of the day, where do you really, you know, what is wisdom? What is truth? What is knowledge? apart from God. There is none. All truth, all wisdom, all knowledge comes from God. And here's the good thing. God will give you it, give it, give you some, as much as you want. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You want wisdom? Ask God. Before you trust in the quote-unquote experts, ask God. He's the author of wisdom. He's the author of truth. You need an answer? He's got it for you. Ask Him. Third reason people fail? They trust in the quote-unquote experts. So the third way you can be successful? Trust in God. All right, let's finish this up. The last reason, reason number four, why people fail let me get back to Obadiah. Reason number four why people fail. They persecute the people of God. They come against the people of God. Obadiah 1 verse 12 says this, But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Now, remember what I talked about, prophetic, uh, perfect. Obadiah is seeing this vision by the Spirit of the Lord as if it's happening right now, but it's not yet happened. Which means when Obadiah tells the people of Edom and gives them this warning, he's saying, you gazed on the day of your brother, Israel. They're connected by blood, remember? Jacob, Esau. You're rejoicing when Judah's being destroyed. 
You spoke proudly against them in their distress, okay? But that was an opportunity for Obadiah to realize, well, we haven't done that yet. But in the spirit, Obadiah saw it as if it, had, or as if it was happening right then. So that gave them an opportunity for when the time actually came, are we going to do what will bring us judgment, which is rejoice over them after they're being destroyed, or will we come to their aid, to their rescue? And the fourth reason people fail is because they persecute the people of God. They come against the things of God. They rejoiced. Obadiah, the Edom, Edomites, Obadiah is saying the Edomites rejoiced over the destruction of Judah. Notice this. 2 Thessalonians 1 6 says this Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, it's a righteous thing when God repays the wicked who persecute the people of God. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. God protects his children. God keeps his own. And the hand that reaches out against the people of God will be crushed. I would be very fearful to be some of these leaders in some of these nations that have tried to use reasons of quote-unquote public health to shut down the church in their countries and their states, and they say, well, it's for the health of the people, and they have strip clubs open while the church is trying, they're shutting down the church. I would be very afraid to be them because the hand that touches the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will be cut off. God's saying it right here in 2 Thessalonians 1.6. Notice this, Acts 9, 5. And Jesus and Paul said, well, he's Saul at this point, and he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's a hard thing for you to kick against the pricks, against the goads, against these hard rocks, these spiky points. Why are you, you, know, why are you kicking against thorn bushes? This is, of course, Jesus speaking to Saul, who later became Paul on the road to Damascus, He's on his way to persecute some more Christians. And the Lord stops him in his tracks. And he says, don't you realize it's a hard thing to come against my people? And notice that. Jesus is saying, you are persecuting not my church, not my people. You're persecuting me. Because as a Christian, I am part of the body of Christ. As a believer, as a Christian, you are part of the body of Christ, which means if someone touches me, they're touching Jesus, good or bad. If someone hurts me, they're hurting Jesus. If someone blesses me, they're blessing Jesus. And God sees it just that way. Psalms 27.1, The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You know what? There is persecution. Jesus said there would be. But that does not give you a reason, Christian, to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. God is with you, and he will protect and keep his own. Deuteronomy 24, 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. The Lord will fight on your behalf. As a child of God, 
as a Christian, the Lord will fight for you on your behalf. And that's how God sees it. If someone comes against his people, comes against his children, he sees it as they're picking a fight with me. Not, oh, they're picking a fight with AJ, picking a fight with you, picking a fight with the Christian. Oh, they've picked a fight with me. You know, I'm, I'm a father of a little 18-month-old girl, which I hope she's not getting into any fights at this point. She's 18 months old. But one day, you know, if someone's trying to hurt and harm my daughter, uh, I take that personally as if it were. It, it's actually worse. I would rather you attack me than my daughter. It would actually be to your benefit. I say your generally speaking. <laughs> it would be to a, an attacker's benefit to attack me rather than my daughter. Hey, Gabe, just saw you jump on. Hope you're doing good, buddy. It would be to your benefit to attack me rather than my daughter. And it's the same way with God. Deuteronomy 24, the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. It would be better for you to you know, attack me than my daughter. And God sees it the same way. You attack my children, you're attacking me. You're coming against me. So fourth reason people fail, they persecute the people of God. They come against the things of God. They try to stop and attack what God's doing. And that in itself is a heart of pride, which goes back to that very first point we made. We made. So we can do it on the flip side. Four reasons people fail. The fourth one is they persecute the people of God. They stand against the things of God. They make war against God. Okay, the fourth reason people are successful is they co-labor with God, as the book of Ephesians tells us. They submit to the things of God. They get in line with the things of God, and that'll bring you success. Hey, I'm so thankful that you joined me. I'm thankful for all y'all that have hopped on and watched throughout the broadcast on Instagram. I appreciate that. I'm thankful for everyone that's joined me on the Faith for My Generation podcast. Hey, make sure if you haven't already, you're enjoying what you hear, leave me a five-star review on the uh, podcast channel. It really does help me get out there. If you've watched me on Instagram, I appreciate it. I'll be doing more of these Instagram lives in the future, so be on the lookout for that as well. And remember, we are the faithful. I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Faith for My Generation podcast. Remember, every Monday I've got a brand new wake-up call for you. And every Thursday, I've got a brand new episode right here on Faith for My Generation podcast. And remember, we are the faithful.